0: G'day everyone, Tom Craig here, and welcome back to episode 22 of The Help Side. I hope you're having a brilliant day doing whatever you happen to be doing while you join us for the next hour or so. Now, our guest today is the recently retired Australian men's goalkeeper, Tyler Lovell. Affectionately known as Big T, Tyler hung up the pads after 147 games for the Cook over a nine-year career, which included gold at the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in 2018, and gold at the 2014 World Cup, including a nomination in 2019 for the World Goalkeeper of the Year. A man for the big moments and the last line of defence, Tyler knows a thing or two about performing under pressure. And in this episode, we're privileged to hear some of his insights into how to deal with it. Also, for any budding goalkeepers out there, you won't want to miss some of Tyler's top tips for being a world-class goalkeeper. Finally, during his time with Kukuburras, Tyler was passionate about team culture and creating a true high-performance environment and was undoubtedly one of the best team men you could wish for. For this, you won't want to miss Tyler's take on building good teams. Remember, if you like what you hear and want to hear more, please do like and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts on or chuck us a follow at The Help Side on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And I'm pleased to report that we're now on youtube so if you want to check out the video recordings of all our episodes to date jump on youtube and check us out finally if you tuned in to the tokyo olympic games and want to hear what it was like on the other side of your tv screen keep an eye out for our tales of tokyo editions you can find those on our regular channel and that's all so let's get into it the help side with big T. I'm very excited about this one, actually. And in all my time as an amateur podcaster, I've never been tested so much as I have been by the man sitting before me in his plush leather armchair, sipping a glass of whiskey in his trophy room. I'm well, you've
1: with... built up the <laughs> anticipation for 18 months. I remember before you actually did your first podcast, you you rang and asked some advice and I thought, you know what, I'll be, he'll interview me soon. Then you rattled off your top sort of your first eight, and I wasn't in that. It's like, oh, that's right. I'll be in the next eight. Yeah, Eighteen months later, I've had to retire <laughs> to get a few podcast.
0: Mate, they don't even know who you are yet. We haven't we haven't even introduced you, but we'll leave it in in you in anonymity for now. But you've played one hundred and forty seven games. You've just recently retired. You're a goalkeeper. And you're also my roommate for a long time. So when I talk about the nagging and pestering, it really was relentless at times. 24 hours a day for two weeks straight sitting before me, Tyler Lovell. Congratulations on a fantastic career, mate. I'm proud to have played with you.
1: Thanks, mate. Hopefully you uh, speak about the coffee making every morning for you um, (laughs) and everything else I did for you, bringing you food when you needed it. Like the list, the list as long as my arm. What I did for you on tour, and I don't know if there's anyone in the Kugawa squad who's going to be able to replace me. All
0: right, I'll so paint. Like I'll paint a picture. I'll paint a picture. So uh, every morning, regardless of when I would like to wake up, this is the one minor drawback. <laughs> I get a. Actually, it was better when we had the manual coffee grinder, but when we had mm-hmm. the remember we had the electronic one yeah, that just it made does. the worst noise, and that's at like seven thirty in the morning when Tyler decides to wake up it's on
1: but yeah
0: i could i could sometimes sleep through that but when you have like a, a pot of hot coffee waved under your nose and literally like mm-hmm. a steaming hot like put on your on your chest it's difficult to to ignore but and the music and the music exactly the music was more of a collaborative thing though like we um yeah and not not your standard we we, we listened to a lot of buble actually
1: A lot of bubblé, a little bit of Frank Sinatra.
0: Lots of Frank Sinatra. It was a pretty chilled, chilled vibes. We had a dartboard, actually. Aslan Shah was famous for the dartboard. Do we take it anywhere else?
1: No, I think it was just Aslan Shah. We were pretty hopeless, so...
0: Speak for yourself. Um,
1: Yeah, we gave it away. Basketball hoops. (laughs) Candles.
0: Yeah, true. Candles. That was part of the... That was always part of the vibe. Yeah, candles, smooth jazz, coffees, and... And yourself. You,
1: too, we needed the candles.
0: That's true. I t- it, we definitely did. I tended to um, to venture out into the hallways a little bit more than yourself. As, and we'll get to this actually later. But you're, you're a working man and you've always managed to balance a, a good career with, um, with your hockey. So you're often confined to your desk, writing emails, asking for money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, pretty much. I'm good at that. Whereas I was off socializing and, and bringing the team together as one roommate has to do. Anyway, you've retired, mate. 147 games for the Kookaburras, I believe. Um, that's a, it's a very decent knock, especially for a goalkeeper. Um, highly competitive market. How, how is retirement treating you? I'm looking at you here, as I said, leather chair, whiskey in hand.
1: It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's, um, I mean, I'm only five, well, three weeks into the announcement or two weeks. So it's only early days, but, um, so far, so good. Um, we've had a family holiday down south um, and I was able to go to the wineries and sample as much wine as I wanted without feeling guilty. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been good. Um, but I think the, the tough, tough part will come when you boys start training again. And as you'll probably get to, I work for Hockey Australia. So my office overlooks the, the turf and I reckon that'll probably start to be a bit challenging watching you guys run around. Um, and then probably even more challenging when you guys uh, start playing again. But um, no, I'm looking forward to sitting back and being, being a fan. I'll um, well, be pretty close. I'll be seeing exactly what you guys are doing on the field. So yeah, look, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be different, but I'm looking forward to it.
0: And the benefit is if ever we're, we're sure to keep keeper, I mean, your pads are obviously going to be in the office, aren't they?
1: yeah yeah yeah, man i could be running around the top with my pads on just in case you know yeah <laughs> uh, try to go and go down you need someone to put you got blokes back in your your post your spot um i'll be ready to go
0: <laughs> and for those of you who don't know um tyler is a proud perth boy very very proud born and raised in the shire of Kalamana is that correct
1: that is correct um God's country. Uh, I know a lot of people think uh, other parts of the world is, but this is the best place to live. Uh, Would just look at the current COVID situation? Uh, we're, <laughs> we're running around free, where uh, other other states in Australia are in lockdown. Um, and one state in particular, not your state, um, but Victoria's had the, unfortunately, the most days in lockdown in the world. So where we've had uh, the, the probably the least. So we we're, were very lucky over here, we've got a, um, a leader who's uh, very strong in what he's uh, what he wants, and um, some, some might say a bit dictatorish. But uh, yeah, look, we're, we're pretty lucky at the moment. It is a um, beautiful country here. That's perfect. And
0: the help side turns to a quick political segment with Tyler. But that's <laughs> that's just how proud of WA boy he is. He he puts in the COVID policy within the first two minutes of the interview. All right. So Kalamunda, you played a lot of cricket growing up. Everyone in WA plays cricket and footy, I, I imagine. Coming from the East Coast, I'm not entirely sure, but I imagine that's what you did. And you're a proud West Coast Eagle supporter. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like? And you're a twin as well. Can you tell me what yes. it was like growing up um, in, in the show of Kalamunda, balancing sports and having fun?
1: Yeah. Forestfield, Kalamunda, where I grew up, um, you know, 25 years ago when I was sort of a 7, 8, growing up playing sport it was awesome you know I could ride down to the local park Um, I I always remember going down and watching the senior teams play on the in the afternoon like I'd go down and play in the morning not always at the local club so we'd be somewhere else Um, and then the afternoon I'd jump on my bike ride down there and just watch this the senior grades play it was awesome Um, such a safe environment uh, back then still is pretty, pretty pretty safe and you can do that and Hopefully my daughter will have that opportunity when she gets older to be able to ride down and watch uh, whatever sport she wants or whatever she wants for that matter. But, yeah, no, look, I played, you're right, so I played cricket during the summer and uh, hockey during the winter, uh, and I managed to play all the way up through until I was selected in the Cougarra squad in 2013. So I was still playing um, pennant cricket, which is leads into sort of the uh, state cricket team. Uh, so I always... Back myself as a bit of cricketer. Um, and I've always waited for Justin Langer's call, um, but it's never come. So uh, Rick, Rick got in first and, and got me to play hockey. So that's where I ended up.
0: Very nice. And for those um, who don't know when, well, I'm not sure many people know this, but you introduced yourself to me in the early days of our time together as a first-grade cricketer, which um, is a pretty big deal. I mean, first grade, you can, you can, you can claim that, but it's not really... Top of the top, but you didn't. You didn't well, explain that back
1: then. So, so when I got selected in the squad, I couldn't play pen and cricket, which was sort of the, the pinnacle leading into the, the WA state. So team. still, so still second, game. second round. Pennant I, I is, played a couple of games. I, you played for uh, WA cricket? And, no, for for my first game. I played mainly second, <laughs> but played a couple of first grade games. I didn't do much. Um, I think I had uh, I got eight runs. And um, actually, dropped a catch from one of my good oh, mates no. for his FIFA, and it was his no. only FIFA. He wasn't a bowler. So I dropped the catch, and it was a was an absolute soda. It was a, like a literally <laughs> soda. So I'll never forget that. Anyway, so yeah, so when you came over into the squad, I, I'd gone back to playing club cricket, um, which was top grade for, for the competition um, that we played in. And you can only play as in the Highest grade year club's got, which I always do, um, which is now actually second grade. So I'm actually playing this year again and I'm our club captain. And I like to refer it as club captain because it sounds better than second grade. Of course. Your first team captain. Of course. Of
0: course. Yeah. So So cricket and hockey were always um, competing with each other. And just to clarify as well, because I know you do fancy yourself as a field hockey player, but you did always grow up as a goalkeeper
1: no okay. so I would play uh, my age group as a goalkeeper mm-hmm. and then I'll play on the field for the age group above mm-hmm. so all the way up through till even so I moved from Kalamunda because Kalamunda is a club I played on my juniors at and then when I turned 15 I moved to my now club called YMCC so I did that because they had a first grade side um, at the time they needed a goalkeeper I think uh, Stephen Lambert was the goalkeeper for them, which was a AIS pick, so he wasn't playing much. So, yes, I've lost my train of thought there. Where That's were we talking right. about? You
0: were, you were talking about the fact that you were playing for Kalamunda. Um, you had to balance between oh, you you, you played on the field,
1: oh, yes, but yeah, also yeah, in so, goal. Yep, yeah, so when I went to Miami, yes, um, so I was 16. Mm-hmm. So, what I did is I played on the 17s for Kalamunda. Mm -hmm. On the field, Mm -hmm. and I played for YM first grade in goals. Gotcha. And seventeen, and then when I wasn't a junior anymore, I just played in goals for for YM, which I've been there since um, I think two thousand and three is when I went there. So, a fair while now. Wow! And from Calamunda to the Kookaburras.
0: um, I mean, goalkeeping is a it's it's a lot different to because. Well, it's so competitive, right? So, um, I mean, you say that you're playing first grade in Perth for 10 years before you debuted for the Um, Can you talk a little bit about that process to go from first grade keeper? I'm, yeah. I'm sure you had yeah. a lot of fun along the way um, to,
1: to yeah, well, the pr- Probably had too much fun. That's why it probably took me a little bit longer. So <laughs> coming through juniors, I was always very good. Um, and I was, I was selected in the state under-15s team as a 13-year-old, which was – as a goalkeeper, wasn't really seen before. So I made all the state tournaments. I made training school boys um, in under 16s. Was in all the junior sort of pathways programs. um, And then I sort of turned 18 and um, uh, found socializing, going out and having a couple of beers um, to be more entertaining. And I really sort of couldn't be bothered playing hockey. Um, I was, yeah. Um, lost focus, didn't want to train in the morning. I was in Waste, which is West Australian Shooter Sport, which is the, the pathway to the state team and then to the national team. Fell away from that, um, dropped out of that for, um, well, probably till I was, I think I was 24 or 25 when I um, got picked in the Cougarborough squad. So I went from playing club hockey, state hockey, not in the shooter sport, because I'd pulled out of that sort of five, six years earlier to being selected into the national squad Um, And then as a consequence, got selected in the WA Institute of Sport. So I did sort of um, ask about, and I think, you know, for for me, I needed to grow up, and what I learned along the way, and and when I got in the national squad, I learned this um, over the coming years, was everyone matures at a different time. And for me, that was about 24, when I was watching the London Olympics, um, and I was like, I reckon I can do that, but I've got some bad habits. You know, I drink too much. Eat. My diet was terrible. Like it was atrocious. Um, I don't go to the gym. You know, I'm just naturally gifted at being goalkeeper and natural, being naturally gifted at any sport only gets you so far. You've got to, you know, change your lifestyle and it's not, you don't go on a diet, you, you change your lifestyle. So it's a, something that just becomes who you are. So I had to do all that. So through um, through sort of the back end of 2012, I had to change all. I had to flip everything on the head, you know. Um, and it took a lot of hard work. And, and even when I got the opportunity to play, I played um, played AHL that year, which is our national league for WA. Um, we did reasonably well, and I played reasonably well, and I got selected to play in Super Nines. Um, so Super Nines was Rick Charlesworth sort of trying to. Um, uh, spice, spice up the game and, and what it was was on side with bigger goals so here I am it wasn't a capped game but you know playing my first game for Australia with uh, goals which are a meter bigger so mm-hmm. talk about getting thrown in the deep end um, so yeah that was that was fun that was in November 20, 2012 um, and then after that I got put in the national squad for 2013 so you know getting to the national squad was was one thing as a goalkeeper because you didn't yeah, you didn't necessarily have to be as fit as yet you could be when you, you get selected as a goalkeeper. Where um, where field players. You've got to be reasonably fit and in good shape. So, you know, I still remember going in the first um, training session with Kath Partridge, and um, I thought I'd my hamstring. The first session I year was just flogging us. Um, but it was just cramped, and I was like, oh, geez, this is going to be tough. But, you know, it took six months of hard work, and, you know, I got to a reasonable base. Um, and then, you know, sort of... Uh, you know, I got, I missed out on the tour. So I debuted in 20, 2013 in May, missed out on the European tour, uh, which was a bit of a setback and probably probably what I needed. I'm probably getting a bit ahead of myself. So I missed out on that and then made the, um, an Oceania tour to New Zealand in, in October 2013. Um, and then sort of, uh, made most teams from that besides the, uh, Besides so the big Olympic Games, which I'm sure you'll you'll get to, so yeah, that was my sort of journey to the Cookaroos to, to start with.
0: There's two things I want to touch on there. The first is um, it seems like those habits changed pretty quickly for you. I mean, you're looking at the Olympics, which is usually in what July, August, um, in yeah. London, and then by the f- May, I think it was yeah, as you said, the following year you were you were debuting for the Cookaroos, and mm-hmm. sorry, in 2012 as well, you were playing the Super Super Nine, so. Those lifestyle changes, that was like a that was just a switch that flicked, or it was something that you kind of gradually grew into.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think it was. It was a gradual. Like I made some big changes, like eating habits. Yeah. Um, like it was pretty bad. Like you know, playing cricket. You know, it's a very social sport. Um, yeah. Playing hockey is very social for me, so um, it was a slow. I reckon. I made the decision and I wanted to get fit, started going on the gym. Um, So you make these decisions based on what you know at the time and what you don't know, you don't know. So I I went on this sort of, I guess, journey of educating myself Mm -hmm. um, at the time. And and my wife, Josie, she wasn't then, but my now wife um, played a big part in that. She's, um, She's very good in that that space and health health space, and you know she does a lot of research and she's very well educated. So she helped me a lot, um, and we got to a sort of a stage, and then in twenty, you know, I got to the World Cup in twenty fourteen, and um, you know I look back at photos now, and uh, even like the, the back end of twenty sort of fourteen in Bhubaneswar and there's a, there's an infamous photo with um, standing next to Budge and Jerry, who're fairly well. Um, built blokes and ripped um jerry's skinny little rump back then but he w- was pretty fit and i thought i was fit and i looked at that and I think shit okay i've got <laughs> to go again and you know for me how do i get better you know like my goalkeeping will get better whilst i'm there but what else can i do so then i, I went again and you know um you educate yourself just a little bit more and you know i remember watching the sugar film um for anyone who hasn't watched that that's a it's uh, it's an amazing documentary on how much hidden sugars in foods so i watched that and geez i haven't had a can of soft drink since 2015 or 14 whenever i watched it you know type of thing so yeah you know you educate yourself along the way and then you you find ways to get better so yeah i got to a reasonable base to make the kookawaras and debut and then just you know over the next couple of years just got better and better and better to probably probably around about sort of you know, it started 2016, I was in a pretty pretty good space, pretty good f- fitness. My um, skin folds, which get measured um, regularly, were, were in a pretty good spot. And yeah, so that was, that was the base from sort of 2016 onwards.
0: It was actually quite the occasion. I remember we were all stretching and rolling in the Cooker in the Cave, which was what we call kind of like our bar our area in Perth. And you came in and you announced that you'd quit sugar. And it was, it was quite the occasion,
1: actually. Yeah, it's, it's a big thing. Um, you know, no more soft drinks. Um, no more, well, I, we all went pretty good for, um, for about nine, 12 months and then went to that next sort of level. And then once, once I lost all that sort of um, extra unneeded fat, I guess, uh, on me, um, you know, you can then maintain it really yeah. re- re- relatively easily. So, you know, I don't, I'm not doing well now. I'm retired. I'm retired. I don't uh, look twice at a um some sugar, but uh, yeah, you know, like I wasn't so worried about it through the the back end of my career because I knew yeah you know, a couple of you know pieces of chocolate here and there was was perfectly fine. Sure,
0: sure, and also in that time, and we're going to jump around a little bit here, but um, it, it's not like it was idle time—the time that you spent, I guess, in the in the wilderness of hockey Australia, you know, like not really involved with the programs and just kind of doing your own thing because. Um, You've always been someone who's had two lives. You've, you've worked really hard at your hockey, um, but also you've worked hard outside of hockey and you've always held a job, um, mm. a full-time job, basically, for all intents and purposes. So where did that come from and, and, and how important was that period for your employment life, I guess?
1: Yeah, well, I think um, for me, like I've always worked, so, you know, um, I didn't get put in the program when I was 18, so I was working when I came into the program and I remember sitting back in 2012, having a chat to um, Bev and George. Uh, we were playing in Canberra. Yeah, that's where the finals were. We were having a beer after a game and I was just talking to him about, you know, um, what does work-life balance look and um, how do you do it? And, you know, Bevo just said, like, you make it work. You have to make it work. You know, we're not getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be or we don't need that much to live but you're not getting paid a hundred thousand dollars to play hockey you need to make it work um and he talked to me about what he was doing and you know from that point on I was like all right well I've got to make it work and for me when I first got in the program um you know I was still trying to do 40 hours a week and I was cooked like when you start training with the kookaburras it's a big big change to your body um you're fatigued let alone having to work full-time as well so probably for the first 18 months i, I juggled that and made it work. And then what I then did is I realised that, okay, if I drop five hours a week of work, I can be more productive at work because I'm not rushing off to work. I can do recovery better. So I get better output at um, hockey and I get better output at work. So I sort of um, probably after after about 18 months, two years, changed back to sort of that sort of 34 hours a week type of thing Mm -hmm. Um, and it made a huge difference made a huge difference now when we weren't training or on tour i would also go back to 40 hours or more type of thing to make up for it Um, and then on tour um, i found out what worked with the balance you know i found out that i could um, i could do 15 hours 15 to 20 hours a week work you know sort of you know three or four hours you know two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon just just fit it in type of thing um, some days you could do more. So that for me worked. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's important because a lot of hockey players potentially, well, they do, they rely on hockey so much and then they come to the end of the career and they go, crap, what am I gonna do now? You know, for me, I had a secure job. Um, so if, and hockey, being a hockey player is so fickle. You can get injured and have a career ending injury tomorrow. So you've got to have something to fall back onto. Um, it's really important. So, you know, kookaburras now have changed. I've seen that change in the last sort of four or five years with the new coaching staff. They're very much like, what are you doing outside of hockey? You know, we don't want you sitting on your ass doing nothing um, because if you're a better person in society, you're going to be a better hockey player, vice versa. So that was my sort of driving factor. And, um, and I enjoyed it. it was it was a, I didn't go home and think about hockey all the time. You know, I had to go to work. So I had something else to think about. So hockey wasn't always playing in my head. So yeah, when I was at hockey, I was I was fresh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it helped? because um, it's kind of like a forced shift if I'm kind of reading between the lines. If you're at work, you kind of have to focus on work and you're at hockey, you know, like do you think that helped the fact that you were forcing yourself into these situations meant it it was easier for you to just switch off from hockey, switch on to work and make that make that switch?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And when we were training in the afternoons, like we got to work, I'm gonna have an absolute crap day at work. But then I know it's going to training and I jump in the car. I've got 20 minutes to go to training or until I get there and everything's all right because you're with your mates. Um, it's all good, type of thing. Vice versa, train in the morning, you have a crap session, and then oh, I'm going to work. So, you know, I can forget about that session. Um, I've got a gym session in the afternoon. So that's all good. And then I'm back training tomorrow, type of thing. So, yeah, yeah it is a big benefit. And I think it's something that, um, you know, hockey players should definitely do. You need something outside of hockey. Um, a, to fall back on if, if things don't go to plan, but B, also to have that mental freshness and mental break from hockey. All right, let's talk about hockey now for a bit. So, in
0: other, um, I've, hear, I've heard you speak about the World Cup in 2014 as your favourite tournament. Um, the interesting thing about that is that you were still relatively new to the Kukabara setup, you'd only been in there for a year. Um, and as we know, goalkeepers typically take a while before they start playing their absolute best hockey. Um, and I just want to dive into that. A, what made the tournament so good? And B, how far have you come from that tournament in 2014?
1: Yep. Yeah, so why that was, I mean, for me, being in that team, I was still in awe of a lot of those players, you know, Rob Hammonds, um, Liam Youngs. Glenn Turner's, you know, Jamie Dwyer's, like these guys who I looked up to in the leading years, leading into my selection, you know, and I was, I was way playing in, I didn't know any, I'd never been to Europe as well. I'd never been, over, oh, I had been overseas, but I'd never been to Europe. So for me, first time in Europe. Where'd like, you I'm been, like this Bali or something? Pretty much. <laughs> so I've been to Bali. Um, it's a couple of good times in Bali. <laughs> Um, so I've been to Bali a couple times. So anyway, so we're over there. So I'm on tour. First, first time in Europe. You know, we go to, we go to London um, and play Bishop Abbey. We play, we play um, England in two games um, where Glenn Turner gets no Glenn. Yeah, Glenn Simpson sorry gets hit on the hit on the foot, um, breaks his foot. Poor guy. Um, and then we play a practice match against Germany leading into it, and Rusty Ford tears a calf. You know, so there's two changes to start with, and and um, I think it was Tim Deven and Matt Goats came in, um, and they both had a fantastic tournament. They were they were awesome, and, and I sort of learned a lot off them and how they went about their sort of nineteenth and twentieth role um, for my later on in in my career where, where I was required. Um, so yeah, it was just the whole atmosphere of the tournament. You know, you had the men's and women's teams there. The, Phil was inside of a soccer stadium. Uh, the vibe was awesome, the carnival atmosphere outside. Um, yeah, it was just fantastic. My family came over. Um, my brother and his, his wife now were, were traveling. They've been in South America, and so I hadn't seen them in six months. They ended up there. They timed it well. Um, Josie came over, mum and dad came over, auntie, like they all came to it. so... Yeah, it was just awesome Um, and I got to play, like I didn't expect to play, but I got to play sort of, I think I played in five games, the back end of each game, sort of, you know, 10 minutes to go where, you know, we had a very dominant um, campaign. So I got to play the last sort of, you know, anywhere from five to 10 minutes of each game, which was was amazing and and that's gave me a lot of confidence and experience for further down. So, you know, I sort of owe a lot to Rick for that. Um, and I even got to play in the final. I played the last five minutes, um, and I still say I made the best save of that game. <laughs> well, take us through it? Um, yep, yeah, so a couple minutes to go. We've sort of... Oh, I reckon two minutes to go. Um, and uh, Herzberg is running through sort of the top of the circle, basically, um, and just open shot from, let's say, the spot... That that sounds good. Just go on top left. And no, I'll just just yeah, just see you later. <laughs> um so thinking, and, and yeah, it was good just to look at his reaction. It was like, oh can't even oh, get a goal. It's the second goalkeeper. That trademark. Wonder, he did score one. their own goal. And it he was did. a pretty pretty good timeout shot um in the first sort of seven or eight minutes, I reckon. Um so he uh he did score a nice one early on in the game
0: definitely was. Um so the overall experience of the world cup was was unforgettable obviously. As for yeah. um yeah, how far you've come, I mean, uh, I don't know how many games ago that was for you, 120 probably plus. Yeah, um, something like that, yeah. But do you look at yeah. footage of yourself then and think like what was I doing or
1: No, I never really have. Um uh, uh, yeah, to some, yeah, some I've never done I really go back to like when I first started. Mm. Um, but if I if I think about you know uh, how far I've come, yeah, it's it's just a massive difference from there. You know, I was a very aggressive, keeper, very European style out trying to slide around and you know being another defender. To now where I've ended up, my career is a very um, very good shot stopper and. Now, I remember Rusty Ford when he was still playing. He's like, if you come out, like, it's easy for us. If you stay there, it doesn't matter if we're three metres away, four metres away, it's harder to score because he's such a good shot stopper. So, you know, I took a lot out of that. And Dave Staniforth, who's our our goalkeeping coach at the moment, you know, did a lot of work with him. And just, you know, Kath Partridge gave me a really, really good base uh, for goalkeeping when I first started in the program. Um, and then sort of just define, redefined it a little bit as as I went on, and just just become more comfortable in my ability to to save the ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, we should probably speak about Kath because she sadly passed away. Um, I think a month mm-hmm. ago, and she was, as you say, your first goalkeeper coach. What's what's her legacy with the way that you you've kept?
1: I think it's the um, just the way it, Well, I always remember her saying "push pull." So if you you push off this side, you pull through that side, and I've done that my whole career. You know, Um, very much get your knee over the ball. You don't want to be sticking your leg out to make these saves. You want to get your whole weight going towards the ball. So you know that's that's what she sort of instilled in me is that um, you know that that confidence in my ability um, and. Push pull, push pull method that's going to be one that will never, I'll never forget about. And you know, if I continue goalkeeping, which I, which I hope to do, um, yeah, I always remember that you know, you, you push off one way to save the ball, and then you pull your body through. And she was an amazing lady, like she, she was, um, I couldn't speak more highly of her. She was such a calming lady, yet awfully scary when she got angry. <laughs> um, and you know, she just demanded such a high quality all the time. Uh, and I think I still remember, you know, early stages when she started with the men's program in, in 2013. She'd only really done the female program after she she had played. Um, and she said, wow, these guys hit the ball hard. Um, and she said, but that's no excuse. To you. You're going to be as good as them. You can save it. So yeah, she was she was amazing um, for me and gave, yeah, really gave me that that foundation to to sort of go go on and um become what goalkeeper i became
0: and let's talk about that so from 2014 the world cup you didn't really miss anything after that at all we were very blessed in the australian national team to have two world-class goalkeepers um and we've had them for for what seven odd years so um yeah that's an absolute blessing but yourself were playing at the top of your game for such an extended period of time. Um, talk to us about that patch of form. So 2015, obviously a great year for you. 2016, you're in awesome form. There was a, a great tournament in London, the champions trophy. Um, I think we won on, on shootouts. Um, and you're pretty unstoppable in that. When you're in that good form, how does it feel? And and what do you, are you just sticking to processes or, or what do you do?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, just like I, I, when I was goalkeeping, like I just wanted the ball. Um, <laughs> and at training, I just wanted more and more and more. Like keeping the ball at me, keeping the ball at me. And then when when I got into a game, like I just felt so confident of my ability. Um, and I want I always wanted to be tested, so I always wanted the best shooting at me. You know, you know whether that was, you know, Florian Fuchs, whether that was. Tom Craig, Jamie Dwyer, you know, whoever that was, whoever's the best shooters, I wanted them shooting at me. You know, like Kieran Govers hits the ball, you know, as hard as anyone in world hockey. Um, Blake Govers is the same. You know, like I wanted those guys hitting the ball at me. Not so much when it was uh, dark at PHS with Blake, but um, other than that it was all right. So, you know, for me, I just, you know, it, it, may have, it also may have appeared that I was extremely confident, but I also had self-doubt throughout my, that, that period and, you know, I would have um, through sort of 20, 2018, you know, I was going through a, a stage where I was playing the game in my head before the night. You know, I would have relatively sleepless nights before games and that was pretty challenging. Um, so, you know, yeah, I'm like any athlete, you know, I still had self-doubt and what I, what I tended to do was sort of bluff it you know, fake it till you make it sort of mentality. So I would say to myself, no, you got this, you're covered, you're fine, don't worry, it's all good, type of thing. Um, and then you you know, as soon as you make a couple of saves, like I was off, type of thing, it was all good. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's funny with goalkeeping. You, you you go up and down, I don't know about field players, but you, you feel more confident than, than other times. Sometimes you don't feel confident. Um, and, but for me, it was like, all right, if I'm not confident, No one else needs to know that. And I will just fake it until I make it type of thing. And, you know, for me, lucky enough, that was through games. You know, I might go and start a game not feeling that comfortable or confident, but sort of, you know, as the game got on, I I worked into the game and I would feel very confident. And then sort of the back end of games, um, I knew that's when the team sort of needed me to do my job and, and, and perform. So, you know, I sort of took inspiration out of the fact that the team needed me in those situations.
0: Mm. And that's interesting that you say that as well, because that was 2018 you're talking about um, 2018 champions trophy was one of the best tournaments I've seen you play. Um, Again, the shootout at the end, you were pretty unstoppable against India and got us the, got us the W. Um, We probably only needed to score one goal that day in the shootout. I think and we would have won and then onto the world cup. And then 2019 with pro league again, stellar performances um so it does surprise me that you say that you're battling. and also being your roommate i couldn't tell because you sleep with an eye mask which everyone should know but (laughs) it's difficult to tell if you're having (laughs) having a sleepless night but it does it does surprise me that um that that's how you felt and and yeah that it took you know a save to get kind of back into the into the rhythm of things
1: yeah and i guess also around those those sort of 2019 or the whole time basically um you know when Colin came into Colin Batchelor was a coach. You never really knew whether you were going to play, and particularly finals. Um, you know, Pro League final. I remember that was a terrible night's sleep. Like I was, I was pretty shattered playing England in that semi final because I was worrying about playing. I was thinking, "Geez, I played really well," but you know, I always doubted doubted myself ahead of ahead of Andrew, which was a big challenge for me, and I. Um, uh, yeah, so going into that game, you know, I was pretty, pretty shattered because I got told in the morning, no, no, you're going to play. You obviously deserve to play, and I did deserve to play. Um, so, yeah, it is, yeah, you don't, don't let people know. Well, I never did really. Um, and I just sort of backed my ability, you know, you're going to get there. Um, just, you'll be right.
0: I mean, I think that's so important for young keepers to hear as well because um, goalkeeper is such an important position, even if you're not touching the ball well firstly actually i mean you only have a couple of um like really specific impacts on the game with saves but for the majority like circle defense um organizing the press making sure that everyone's um doing their job and then penalty corners all that sort of stuff like you can't really ever be switched off or showing showing any doubt i guess because yeah
1: that's right yeah yeah that's right and something i got told when i was really young was um, by Jason Duff, actually, who's a Kookaburra um, Olympian now uh, analytic coach. He he told me when I was 15, he says, the goal you let in, it might be a stinker, but that goal might not be the one that costs you the game. The goal that goes in next because you're still thinking about that might cost you the game. So what you need to do is you let a goal in, everyone that's goals in. Like it's besides you blokes on the weekend who couldn't score. Um <laughs> Um, everyone lets goals in. So the quicker you can just put that behind you and deal with that later and what went wrong later and focus on the now, the better you are for yourself and for the team. So I, uh, um, I took that my whole way through a career and, you know, I let goals in. I was disappointed about 100%. Um, but, you know, put it in the back of your mind as quickly as possible. And it's really hard. But you just got to put it in the back of your mind and focus on the now. And that might be, you know, for me, calling. You know, like if I was feeling down, you know, like I'd try and, you know, get into the game by calling lines and just making sure that the defense was set and you know, identifying what other teams are doing, that type of thing. So you know, that were my sort of tactics if I was feeling down because of a goal or down just because of just feeling down.
0: Mm, so I'm clear. So you just focused on kind of like the next job, parked it and tried to do with the ladder. Yeah. Cause as you say, it does yeah. sound hard. Did you get better at it as you went?
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes time. It takes, it takes experience. Um, but yeah, the, the, the sooner you can do that and learn to cope with that, the better.
0: That's it for part A. See you soon for part B.